Live from Mr. Body's Mansion, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Okay, Tim. Well, this is uh, maybe better than the bathhouse, but it's kind of spooky. There's a storm. There's at least one dead body. At, at least. And, um, I mean, the the house is nice. It's a beautiful well, mansion. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a bad house, per se, but the people here are a little weird. Yeah. I, f- I feel like there's disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, I think well, I, I mean, just heard a scream somewhere. Oh, that's not good. No. Uh, it was a dark and stormy night. Yeah. We should know. We should known better than to answer that sort of invitation. Yeah, I don't. I don't. But anyway, the, the butler seems like a nice guy. The, the anyway. butler's stand-up guy. Yeah, stand-up yeah. guy. Yeah, at least now that that Mrs. Peacock lady. I don't know. But <laughs> anyway, right. welcome, folks. Hi. So we're back. Yay! Episode uh, forty-nine. Mm-hmm. And this is Tim. And this is Nick. How are you doing? Good. How are you? <laughs> Just fine. <laughs> How are you doing, audience? Did you you survived the Apple Festival. I did survive the Apple Festival, and then I survived the Sawdust Days. Which Sawdust was, Days? Yeah, that's the big uh, um, the weekend after Apple Festival. Uh, Rental has this big giant sale where we sell bazillions of things. Normally, I just I don't help. They need the help this year, so I was there running the counter and stuff Friday and Saturday. Oh, uh, okay. so, enjoyable, but you know, another two days of like craziness. Gotcha. So. So you're just now kind of getting caught up. Going going back into some sort of normal, some sort of normal routine. To sort of, I mean, outside the trips to random places like bathhouses and mansions. Yeah. But <laughs> that's just, my Thursdays are always very interesting. That's just their <laughs> life. <laughs> like, Natasha, I'll be home in a bit. I don't know where I'm going or when I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes. Yeah, that, she, that, that one time she had you came in, drenched in like all kinds of weird alien stuff. Oh, I know. It just it, it's she, she she puts up with quite a lot. Yeah, so. she, yes, she does. So all right. Well, should we go into our story school? Sounds good to me. All right. So today we will we are tackling the topic of. Revisions. Um, there was actually a reason we picked this episode, this uh, topic for our episode. Uh, possibly unbeknownst to most of you, episode forty-eight was recorded twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh, we had we actually had a mistake. Some with, audio error. A big yeah audio error with the free, previous recording, um, which was really unfortunate because that meant we had to go back to that bathhouse and do Again, a lot of yeah. Which was really hard. My, anyway. my my hands still have not recovered. Callus is everywhere. Sheesh, man. I, I tell you, Yubaba's a slave driver. She is. Good thing we were able to remember our names. Yes. <laughs> anyway. anyway. So, and you know, that kind of reminds me, the kind of the worst fear writers have, I think, is to lose everything they've been working on. Mm. You know, you hear those stories of people like they wrote their whole first draft and they got it's caught in a fire or something or hard drive wiped out. And you're like, Ugh. how do you can't, because you... You yeah. can't recreate something in the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have the same sort of... The story's going to be different. You're a different place. You're a different writer, you know. So yeah. it's just interesting. I mean, that's one of the things that no one ever wants to... You know, because our beauty talk was different the second time. <laughs> I mean, you guys might not know that, but it was... There were some things that were the same, and some things were completely different. Yeah. Well, it's in some good, some bad. I mean, we yeah. brought up... We were able to bring up some things that we had forgotten to bring up in yep. the previous recording. Um, I'm sure we probably forgot some things that yeah. had been in the previous one. So I'll start with the 
usefulness revisions. Obviously, you don't okay. want to have a force revision. And, you know, no one loves losing things. So you go and yeah. make copies. And, you know, it's much, it up and- much nicer with computers now and the cloud mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But when I was teaching middle school, I would tell them everything we do outside of, like, you know, little tiny things, we're revising. We revise everything. I give you, you do a first draft, I grade it. You do a second draft, that replaces your first grade, you know. But I think it was important to teach them very, very seldom is the first thing you write the best version of what you're writing. Mm-hmm. Now, it might be relatively close. And, you know, some of the, so, you know, some, some of the students were, you know, their first draft was, I changed a couple of things. They, hey, why didn't you add this just because they don't know what else to say? Um, and they fix it. And then some people are like, you missed the whole entire paragraph. This makes no sense. Learn how to spell the, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, T-E-H does not count. So... Yeah, when, when when I taught a college class, I, I often wondered certain students, you figured you were getting their very first draft when yeah. I did not have that sort of requirement. And they were, you were expecting a final draft yeah. and you didn't figure they ever had more than one. They were done right before the class started. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Which we've all know of. But, um, <laughs> but I think the process revision, though, is probably individual to certain I mean you got the grammar and stuff like that from writing point of view for from film I'm sure it's different but you don't have grammar mm-hmm. but I guess I'll just start with my personal and then we'll throw your personal in and then we'll kind of try to yeah, we'll, generalize since I since I have uh, been writing recently well we can tackle the writing, writing the and then we'll go to the film. film stuff but you know I tend to write my thing and I, I'm getting better at that whole writing without editing as you write not great yet <laughs> but I found especially if I can push forward and get through the first couple of pages I've mentioned before, the first couple of pages usually change the most because the story develops after I get through a few couple of pages and I have to go retcon myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's not retconning. It's no, the draft's finished. Exactly. Exactly. That's the nice thing about writing opposed to other medium. Yes, that you have a lot, of, lot yeah. of time, a lot of freedom as opposed mm-hmm. to TV or film where there's usually a little yeah, where you're tighter under, time. Yeah, you're training. under the wire and yeah. At least, I mean, there's some writing that's underwire. And when I did oh, newspaper sure. writing, you know, you just sure. throw yeah. it out and make sure it makes some sense and you're done. Like when I had to type like five stories in like two hours or something like that. But normally then the second time through, I'm trying to, you know, make sure all everything connects. You read through lines saying, that, does, that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. Or, oh, I use that word like four times in this paragraph, which is the thing I do all the time. <laughs> that's one of my biggest things I have to catch myself is not to repeat the same word. But I think trying to find, make sure the story melds. And my other big thing in revision is trying to make sure it's going to make sense to people outside of me. <laughs> because many times, especially I just wrote a short story recently. Many times, especially with short stories, I tend to compress pretty tightly. And, you know, and sometimes I play with ambiguity and stuff. You want to make sure that it's coming across. But I don't like to, I don't necessarily like to state things straight out, especially in short stories. Tempt <laughs> laughing because, but that's always been my problem. Even in high school, I remember people reading like, this is making sense, but I'm like, but it's here and here. Like, oh, I guess I should explain that more. That's my, my hardest thing with revision and what I need people like Natasha and other who reads all my stuff and most other, anyone else reads is like, does this make sense? I know what I'm saying, but is it actually saying that? <laughs> So. Yeah, and you do have you do have a knack of uh, you're very good at the art of implication, and since sometimes too too, too much. much. No, and and I, I I've learned to recognize that that's my blind spot. Mm. And I think for revision, that's the biggest thing. Figure out what is your blind spot. What do you tend to miss? Mm-hmm. Uh, and normally, obviously, you can do so much yourself, a certain amount yourself. Like, oh, I think this should be phrased better. With my character here, but you really, I think, outside eyes are 
necessary, and I probably don't get enough of. I'll just throw in a little bit here with my recent, obviously Nick has a much wider uh, body of work behind <laughs> his uh, writing experiences, I, and I can certainly uh, empathize with a lot of those things. I mean, the whole uh, not editing as you write is something that I've always str- struggled with for a long and, time. And I'm not great at it yet. And normally my first draft, my second and my last draft is usually not that far off. I don't know whether it's just I write slow enough that there's not massive changes or whether I'm just not, I still edit a lot. Well, I, I do feel uh, some cover. I think I've heard Lewis was very similar that way. Like I guess when he wrote Chronicles of Narnia, he, his drafts didn't really change all that much afterwards. I mean, he wrote it out and that was pretty much the way it and went. And I think that's, that's a way to do it. It just takes a lot more time early on and less later. Yeah. Yeah. Being really thoughtful about what you're putting down on the paper or, mm-hmm. or on the screen or whatever. And the downside of that is it can make the whole process take longer because you're, it takes that much longer to get your first chapter, your first paragraphs mm-hmm. out. I mean, and that does help later on when you're revising. It's not quite as much to do. But then I, one thing I noticed, because like when I was doing um, New World's Rising and Natasha was editing my stuff, uh, when you're first starting off, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, and I'll do that. And then, like, the longer it goes, you'd be like, oh, I don't really want to add more description yeah. here. It's like, <laughs> yeah. But isn't this good enough? Yeah. <laughs> the, and then the funny thing is, what I found is I would find little ways to include just enough description, like, okay, so if I include a little bit here, okay, that establishes time of day, and then I'll <laughs> add. A little bit here and a little bit here. Okay, so that's <laughs> and it usually didn't wind up being that big of a. It's not like I usually there were a couple places, but for the most part, I didn't have to like add, you know, even entire sentences or paragraphs or anything. It was really just a few w- words here and there that kind of helped clarify, set the mood, set the setting a little bit more. If probably if there's a, if if I have a blind spot, and I, which I probably do, it, it might be with. I almost certainly have some sort of blind spot. I may not even nope. be aware of it yet. <laughs> but but one of them is probably uh, descriptions. My 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 goal is is more. Uh, I want to keep the story moving, mm-hmm. keep the characters moving, and all that kind of stuff. And I don't really spend a whole lot of time really that concerned with how everything looks or anything like that. I think well, and I'm I'm not a particularly descriptive writer myself most times. At least not like. Exteriors, but I, the other thing I think I always try to pay attention to when I'm revising, and this this is more for fiction, obviously, than like nonfiction and other things. And I always feel like I do horrible, and I don't I, because I have, don't have a good sense of how other people read it. Is pacing? I always feel like when I'm writing it, it's taking a long time, and then when I reread it, I'm like, it took like three sentences. Why is it over already? <laughs> but then you're like, but if I add more, it'll just seem redundant because yeah. And so I always ha- I never know is this getting across what I meant in the in the same depth I meant it or is it just sort of and, and it's that weird because revision at that level of, of trying to of communicating clearly what was in your head obviously the grammar is part of that so they can read and the pen- punctuation you know it try you know there's so much stuff in your head and so many emotions or things you're trying to communicate or actions or whatever and then is it coming through in the writing? Is, is that what everyone else is getting? Mm. And that, that discrimination between what you see and what the paper says, I think in some ways is what the revision is about. Well, and that's why you have to take a, a step away from it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it helps to like come do your revisions a day or two after yeah, you've I, been writing. I always try to you know, take a, you know, a couple day break. I think it would be really beneficial. I heard, um, I was telling Tim this before the podcast, apparently two things about F. Scott Fitzgerald's uh, Great Gatsby. I've heard, and I don't know if this one's true or not, that his editor made him cut the first 70 pages of it. 
which, you know, it's one of those things, the writer thinks is important, then someone convinces you, no, wait, this is not, you know, this is, you can do, you can do without this. Yeah. And then also, I guess the t- he was fighting for the title, I don't, I can't, I don't know it exactly what it was, something along the lines of Tumultio in the West Egg. You know, and <laughs> I think it should have been that, honestly. <laughs> and that there's like, people won't get the illusion. I don't know what the illusion of Malchio is. And the West Egg just sounds weird. If you read the book, it's a location. Or it might be East Egg. I don't remember. But it's one of those things that really good editors, and, you know, I don't know, my wife's my main editor. You know, I haven't had really, you know, really critical error. The sort of editor that comes alongside you say, not just because you don't want an editor that tries to make the book what they think it should be. Mm-hmm. You want an editor that comes along and tries to make it what you're trying to make it be, mm. you know, and that will communicate to the right, to, mm. you know, and, and can see the tough things that you're like, but I don't want, I love this character. And you can say, look, the character doesn't do anything. You know, <laughs> let's, it's funny, but let's mm-hmm. cut it. Right. Which I, I heard, actually. Apparently, I don't know all the, but I guess Frozen went through a massive number of revisions. Yeah. I think um, that movie was in various stages of development for a long, long, long time. But someone... Actually, I, I feel like I even heard that they were trying to do an adaptation of, you know, the original fairy tale, yeah. like, all the way back while Walt Disney was still alive. <sighs> so that's been kicked around the Disney studios for quite a while. Well, and then uh, John Carter was revived, yeah. tried numerous times. In the development hell, yeah. as they say. Someone was saying that Olaf... Because Olaf is almost an unnecessary character. Mm-hmm. But because there's something... I didn't want to see the film... Something he does at the end that they thought solidified the fact that he was necessary to the movie. Mm. You know, so, you know, they were thinking about that sort of stuff. Okay, yeah. You know, because he's fun, but for a lot of the movie, he does, he's just kind of his... He's just kind of the he's just comic kind of there. relief, and there's yeah. plenty of other comedies, yeah. so... But he, at the yeah. end, he does some important stuff and talking to Anna and... Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Speaking of uh, important and unimportant characters, I mean, we were talking before before this, too, about uh, my book, New Wolves Rising. It's funny... Looking at the outline, I only wrote about half of the outline. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's eight chapters long, but those eight chapters were originally four chapters in the outline, and it, and it changed and flux. Some mm-hmm. got much bigger, and I made one one fight scene a much bigger battle than it had been originally because I knew I was going to uh, shorten the whole thing. But really, all the important stuff was in that first four chapters, and the, the second half was more to... To kind of move move all the characters forward and establish their organization a bit more, but it was also mainly to like introduce more characters. <laughs> and there are characters that we like and hope to see in future books, but for that story, we're not really for that story. It wasn't as necessary, yeah. and and we we're and it really was able to found. You know, this is this is actually a pretty decent ending. So you know what's I think what's necessary for good revisions is a sense of fluidity to understand that. The story is still moving. Yeah. This is part of the reason when I have a time to, I like to write on paper. Mm-hmm. It feels more free. Then there's this this fluidity about it when I type it up that it can change as I'm typing it up as opposed to once it's on the computer, I have a harder time moving things just psychologically. Even in film, this is why a lot of movies will have advanced screenings for audiences because they uh, just to see how audiences will react to certain things. I mean, I mean, movies are such a highly budgeted, expensive mm-hmm. medium anyway that you have in order to be successful, you can't just rely on the directors. You know, even if your director is Jim Henson or, or you know someone brilliant, like you have to be able to play it for an audience, and sometimes you'll 
audience reactions are not always great the first time, and it may just be a little thing yeah. that will that will help a lot. Or I mean, it's possible to have just the wrong audience. But. I remember you were telling me um, what was that last student film you did in at Regent? Oh, the, the big one with the cupcake. Yeah, a piece of cake. You you told me that one scene where about some double taking you had you had come back you had added it in a second time to expand the yeah yeah you know it's just one of those things that like a couple extra seconds or something mm-hmm. changed the whole feeling of it yeah yeah because the, because the movies seem to i mean are even more emotionally we react more intuitively in many ways to mm-hmm. a movie yeah than to a book yeah there's things that you won't even discover about the movie until you're in the editing room and Doing that, man. Talking about piece of cake, you know, because that was yeah. that was my big project in the early days of this yeah. podcast. Oh yeah, <laughs> we you heard a lot of project updates. Some of you longtime listeners, <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> about piece of cake, but that was that was definitely one that I did a my first cut of it. Then I got met up with a director, and then we went through it and we found things to trim, and you know, we talked things over and found things to trim, and then we we thought we had a pretty good cut, and then we showed it to our uh, faculty producer. Now, after that, we went through several weeks. We thought we were almost done. We went through several weeks of working with him to hone it down and hone it down and hone it down. I think it went, I think we wound up cutting like two minutes or something out of it. And honestly, I don't remember what we cut. (laughs) I think it was just tightening things, tightening things and just being, you know, merciless, like making sure the, the story had enough room to breathe and mm-hmm. and do what it was supposed to do because comedy needs room to breathe it yeah. needs, but it needs just the right amount of room to breathe comedy especially is timing yeah it's, <laughs> it's all about timing so i mean that was and that was certainly an eye-opening experience of, in that of like because again i i'm the kind of guy that's like okay i finished it i think it's done is let's just move yeah. on yep. on to the next thing but uh, there's there's definitely some value to being willing to go at it again and again and again. Yeah, I think I think that's one experience I have not had much of, and I wish I I, I don't know if I w- would enjoy, it, but I think it would be beneficial for me in in my writing, especially my long stuff, to have some one of those you know like a F. Scott Fitzgerald editor who's just kind of brutal. I probably wouldn't like it. I'd probably complain like, no, this is important for this reason, and have excuses. But <laughs> I mean, but at least if you're battling out, you defend things, or you come like, oh, okay, I guess that's. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting. The little bit that happened on Unremarkable Squire is that my first chapter had this little section before, kind of like previously, you know, like uh, the historians write about this and this and this and this. And she's like, look, this is not important. Put it in prologue, you know, if you want it. I'm like, okay, I can, you know, I can do that. It's not a big deal. Um, and I don't remember if it stayed that way or not because then later on there were issues with the first chapter making sense about references to historians because they had connected and so I don't remember exactly how it panned out. I also remember reading back in when Phantom Menace came out, George Lucas talking about he loved put the movie came together in the editing room. You know, I think he would just film stuff. Yeah. And then work at it for ages because he loved the editing. Right. Probably more than the directing. <laughs> yeah, no, I believe that George Lucas was is definitely a tinkerer. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So talk about someone who probably likes to revise a little too much. much yeah. That, and that's true because some people's revision, I, I think Tolkien like that, I know some of my writing friends, they just want to keep rewriting it and mm-hmm. keep rewriting, keep tweaking, keep adding this, doing this, and it's never done. And at some point, at least for me, I'm the sort of person, this is pretty good. I've always been like, the not first 98% is fine, and then the last 2% takes you know twice as long as the first 98%. At some point, you just, yeah. I move it on trying something new. What's that old, uh, the, that old uh, creative person saying that a work of art is never f- 
finish. You just have to come to the stopping place. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. some people have a lot more trouble with that than I do. Sure. Well, I do tend to keep tweaking it before trying to post it for people to a certain extent. But but you still put it out there. I mean, yeah. I mean, there are. You could look at it either way. I mean, I guess for some people, it may be a matter of pride, a matter of like, this has to be absolutely perfect yeah. because if it's not perfect, that means I am at fault. And that's yeah. like, look, no work of art is perfection in itself. Yeah. Well, maybe Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, tongue in cheek. But, I uh, kid, I kid. <laughs> but we're all infallible people, and every work of art is going to be. We're all infallible people? <laughs> we're all fallible. my entire world. <laughs> No, no, we all make mistakes, case in point. <laughs> <laughs> and and so obviously no work of art is going to be perfect either. So. And, I, and, and we I have think, to accept that. No, yeah, I accept it. I think art's one of those things where in many ways by writing something, throwing it out there, writing something, throwing it out there is how you improve. Mm. You, I, don't, I think it's mm-hmm. very hard to improve by working on one thing over and over oh, again. Yeah. I, some people probably can. I, I think I've learned more by trying different things and then some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. Yeah, everyone has a lot of bad work in them, and they have to get that out. You have to work through that in order to get to the good stuff. Well, I'm not even convinced. Sometimes people have a good one, and then later on, just all kind of bad stuff. You know, you know, be they keep trying stuff, and then it's just like, okay, you should have gone back to what you were doing earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you had that one great story. You should have just stopped. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, some of the revision. You know, when you and that's almost another version. Some revision is just the same thing played out in 10 different stories. You know, we, we like to talk about Miyazaki. You know, it basically has like a couple themes that just keep coming up in various but they're all per- permutations. I mean, they're, yeah. they're different stories. Hmm. But it's like the artist sometimes, his whole work is just trying to, I got these, you know, two ideas or one idea. I'm going to just keep trying to find the best way to angle to approach it from yeah. for some people. And there's nothing wrong with that. No, there, no. I mean, a lot of great, lot of great artists work like that. Mm-hmm. They always talk about like the... Notes from the Underground was kind of Dostoevsky's like proto great work. And then after that, all his works were kind of working off the same themes. And they're all, you know, great novels now. And, you know, sure. But that, I guess that was his turning point from whatever he used to write before that, too. So definitely a lot of value to going back and uh, re not only revisiting ideas, but uh, the re- revision of them. Yeah. And spe- yeah. Spending time I and mean, just throwing it out there without any revision. First off, it's just not good craft. Yeah. And second off, it's not good for getting your point across many times. I mean, like the story just wrote malfunction. Yeah, I had Natasha. I had well, Natasha hadn't read it yet, but I had my mom read it because I was at work and I was I printed it off. I um, mean, I saying, look, does this work? You know, does this make sense? I had revised the ending and the beginning several times already, trying to be like, okay, how does this jive? You know, am I giving enough info? Is it etc. So I think struggling with trying to communicate, like we talked about last episode, we talked about beauty. You know, or, or truth, or whatever, you, whatever reason you're writing, you want it to come across to people as mu- as well as you can manage, and that takes some effort on that point. And a lot, you know, when I work with students, they're always like, "I'm done. It's good, isn't it?" And, you know, and they haven't even spell checked it. You know, and you're like, "No, there and there and there are not the same." <laughs> so one example that's been kind of I've been meaning, wanting to make sure I get it, got it out there. I think it was even after one of the early. Um, audience screenings uh, pretty late into the process of making Wally, they made an interesting change in that i guess the first time you know before they they fall down into the trash area mm-hmm. uh wally gets zapped by the the evil robot okay here. yeah 
Um, I guess originally it was Eve who was getting zapped, and then there was a big Wally had this big rescue thing of her, and then okay. and then after the trash scene, they you know she was better, and they they went on. At some point, they changed it to Wally being the one getting zapped, and this for the, Andrew Stanton, he said this was important because for the first time, suddenly getting back to Earth, it became about. Uh, for Eve, it, the directive became more about saving Wally than it was just about getting the plant. And those, and it didn't change a lot of other things because eventually Wally, you know, gets kind of smashed in the one thing, the one uh, during the scene yeah. where where they're trying to she gain control of the ship. Yeah. yeah, they're trying to gain control of the ship. So I mean, there was always going to be that bit of Eve trying to save Wally at the end, but it by having Wally get zapped earlier, it up the stakes for Eve and basically changed the whole, the whole, uh, made that whole relationship even stronger and up the stakes uh, a lot earlier. Did, are you the one who told me about the revision in Incredibles about the fight between Mr. Incredible and his wife? Maybe not. Or did I, I read I, that somewhere? I'm not sure. I've heard that one. I can't remember the details, but I guess when they first did it, it seemed almost like, uh, he was abusing her, like the, how, how the language and stuff was, but just by changing uh, how the images were that she was, you know, uh, Elaskading around everywhere, uh-huh. it it changed the perception, and everyone's like, "Oh, you rewrote it." And he's like, "No, you just oh. retooled it." I guess I I can't remember the details. I don't. I must have saw that online somewhere. Interesting. I'm not. No, I'm not heard that story. Okay. But again, that's like I said, that was pretty late in the process, and it was a subtle change. But subtle things like that really, like I mean, and I'm, I'm sure the story probably would have worked otherwise. Mm-hmm. But but I think it's. The difference between taking the time to make those subtle differences can make the difference between a decent story and a great one. Yes, yes, I agree. All right, that's a good ending point. We'll just stop there. Yeah, so. sounds good to me. All right, uh, then we'll go on to our soundtrack. I kind of stumbled across this one. It's called No Resub. And what that means in Overclock Remix terms is that a lot of times when they people submit their music, and Overclock Remix has a pretty high standard of passing things through, mm-hmm. and some people complain about that. But a lot of times the judge will say, no, we're not going to pass this, but please resubmit because there's a lot of good ideas, and if you fix this and that and that is the other thing. So um, Overclock Remix likes to kind of encourage revisions of stuff that seems to be you know working well. And so... This is kind of a tug-in-cheek title called No Resub. It's a remix from Scribble Knots by Protodome. Protodome's awesome normally at, like, jazzy chiptunes. This is a little more glitchy than that. But um, I think it's happy, and you'll enjoy it.
All right, and we're back. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, I heard another scream. Yeah. It's getting, the dead bodies are going to pile up here. <laughs> so, anyways, As let's go and do something completely different then. <laughs> okay? Sounds good to me. Okay. This is... We thought, since we were talking about revisions, that we'd try to tackle some, uh, what if certain things, people had revised their scripts. You know, you mentioned the Wally thing, mm -hmm. but you know, what if certain important moments had been revised? They said, no, let's not do that, let's do this. Hmm. And I guess one example in real life is that apparently in uh, Return of the Jedi, we had to bring a Star Wars a couple times in that episode. Of course. Originally, I guess Han Solo was gonna die uh, blowing up the Death Star, mm -hmm. which is an interesting way to, I, it's hard for me to envision that. Partly because Huntsville has lived on in 10,000 comics and books since then. But also, also, Return of the Jedi, and it would just change the feeling. Return of the Jedi is such a triumphant film. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's, it's two battle scenes right after each other. It's the whole movie. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, about underdogs winning. And I think it would really change the feel in a way that I'm not sure to want the last of the six movies do feel. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It would have been more realistic. It would have been more like, there's, you know, casualties in war, kind of like how um, J.K. Rawlings did in um, Harry mm -hmm. Potter. You know, bad things happen in war. Yeah. But that doesn't seem to be fit the, the vibe of the first, of, of the original three Star Wars movies. Yeah. No, I think it would have been, been a big change to, yeah, obviously Return of the Jedi because, yeah, there's nothing else really in that movie that feels like that would fit. In, in my opinion, like I mean, Empire Strikes Back, you got a lot of dark stuff going on. It makes sense that the, the good guys barely escape in the end. That's yeah. kind of the theme of that movie. Um, Return of the Jedi is supposed to be kind of wrapping everything up, so you wouldn't want to have this one last tragedy. And then you all. would you would rescue Han at the beginning and then have him die. I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's, you that's really weird. You would have had to re rewritten his plot line substantially. I mean, you could have had him rescued, but you would have had to set this this foreboding or something in it to make it make mm -hmm. any sense. Yeah. I mean, it, it would make a lot more sense. And I, I have to think they're going to do this. I, it would make a lot more sense to kill Han Solo in the next star Wars movie. If they're going to do that. Yeah. I think people have to expect that because they've heard about this story before. But yeah. speaking of characters dying, here's another interesting revision. Um, we've talked, I think we've talked about this before. Jack, Oh yeah, he was originally supposed to die in the first episode of Lost. Yeah, and that would have really surprised people. Now, was was Kate supposed to be the lead then? I think so. Okay, I wonder if it would have become more. Um, well, I guess Revolution had the same characters through most of it, didn't it? Yeah, the the main characters. Yeah, that's true. But I I wonder if there would be even more of that sort of sense of life is fleeting kind of yeah. thing in Lost. I mean, Lost there was plenty of death in the I mean, as it was. For all I understand the, the 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 pilot Lost and the whole setup was run at, you know, massive numbers of revision. They were off the cuff a lot of the early stuff anyways. Yeah. So this is hard. I mean, the show would have been I don't even know what you would say the show would be. It would have been completely different, I think. Mhm. Mm well, and I guess you could point to a lot of things like that where the show, if they had done a certain thing differently, how different would the show have been? What if Mr. Echo had stayed around the whole time? Yeah. What would the last season even look like if oh, Echo man. had been around? It would have been really interesting with Echo still around. Because he was the other, he was like the third spiritual wheel. Yeah. So maybe you would have had someone, maybe he might have really been good for Locke, honestly. Might yeah. Because Locke was getting fed all kinds of misinformation. Constantly. Yeah, some of it from himself. <laughs> 
He's a really sad character, honestly. He really is. He had a very tragic end. Especially put in order. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you got three episodes, th- three seasons that end with him in the coffin, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Two, so, of, two of them are the same coffin. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. that's how you end three different seasons. So, <laughs> other, other major revisions to, uh, we had some we were throwing around. Well, I don't know that any of them, the other ones were ones that had actually been No, considered. no. This is, our, this is our what if. Yeah, now we get into the, uh, the, the harebrained. That we get stuff. to do stuff just because. Well, I did know. like your one that you mentioned just before. What if, what if Arwen hadn't been in the Lord of the Rings movies? <laughs> Okay, that's a little mean because she was kind of barely in them as it was. <laughs> well, and I I have this Thankfully. grudge against anything that would change the book substantially, just because. Well, I've said it before. If Tolkien didn't put it in the main book, why did you put it in the main movie? I mean, it just doesn't. <laughs> that to me seems like you're like, oh wait, we need to make sure there's a girl in here in order to the, and a romance in order to appeal to certain demographics. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, not that it was. I mean, it is a story from Tolkien. It you know, is. it is. But he decided to put in the appendix, yeah. <laughs> which to me is an important choice he made. Um, okay, but that's just me. And, Other people like it perfectly fine. And that's not even touching putting appendices of Lord of the Rings into The Hobbit for yeah, some yeah, weird we reason. Won't, see, now we're not. We're, we're not doing a revision. Now we're just me on our soapbox. So. <sighs> We have an episode. We'll just call it Peter uh, Jackson and uh, <laughs> our soapbox. But our soapbox. Yeah, we'll just do soapbox things. But I like Peter Jackson. He does a good job in his. Problem is, people have probably heard us on our soapboxes uh, most times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Here's here's yeah. An, here's another Sorry. revision. We, I mentioned Jim Henson earlier. Yeah. And uh, bad audiences uh, reception. I think I've mentioned on here before, but the original cut of Dark Crystal, he tried to have all the Skeksis talk in their own language, with no subtitles. <laughs> Because <laughs> he's kind of yeah. like, you know, this is supposed to be a different world. You know, why have them speak English? Yeah. And it's all about the visuals anyway. Jim Henson was all about visual yeah. stuff over over uh, having to have dialogue. You mean as like Terry, Terry Gilliam. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's manamana. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all about the abstract. But I didn't fly. And no, I, it's, you can understand why. Yeah. Okay, so let's come up with a harebrained one now, okay? Okay. So we'll see. Okay, how about we just start with, we'll just switch. You know, we were, in the news is um, Ghostbusters is now apparently going to be redone with all girls. Oh, female cast. Female yeah. cast. Let's take some character and switch gender on them. Okay. I'm trying to bring up something we haven't brought up in other episodes as often. What about Braveheart? What if we make William Wallace... Um... So we're talking Joan of Arc now. Yeah, Joan of Arc. Actually, I'm surprised they haven't done a modern day Joan of Arc thing. You know, like Not the... that I know of. Well, I guess part of the problem is that it's hard to have Joan of Arc as a feminist icon when she's getting her instruction, her vision, not from herself, but from God. God yeah. So that's part of the problem there. But uh, what would it, it would have a whole new meaning to the torture scene at the end. It yeah. It would probably be a little... Uh, Even more squeeze. Yeah, yeah, that would change a lot of kind of your dynamics and everything. <laughs> Revisionist history in a really weird way. In too. a really weird way, Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. Okay, that was a weird one. <laughs> <laughs> well, because they just made Thor for female, didn't they? They announced it? I don't remember if it's happening. Yeah, I don't understand how that's working. I don't understand that one either. I mean, I get, like, Captain America, because that's just a title. Yeah. Like, I can see, I mean, that's like having a Supergirl or what have you. Um, yeah. Technically, Supergirl is a separate character, but I can I can sort of see it. Thor is a little confusing to me. Like, I'm, if she just has the power of the hammer, okay, cool. But should her name still be Thor? I I don't really I don't know enough about the mythology behind the Marvel Thor to really say. Yeah, interesting. No, I don't know. 
Okay, let's see. What if, um, okay, Stranger Than Fiction, what if you died? Oh. Well, it would have been a much sadder story. Yeah, and that movie's interesting because it's almost it almost admits it's a cheat by making him live. True. It also suggests, though, that, well, from a literature perspective, it's a, it's a cheat, but it kind of brings up this idea that perhaps, well, the way she puts it is that the man's life, if he's a good man, is worth more than a work of good literature, which is true. It is true, yes. Um, kind of raises the question. I mean, the fact that the fact that he does find out what is going to happen to him and decides to go along with it anyway makes it a different story than it would have been if he had just died normally. Yeah. That movie is so meta, it's kind of hard to... <laughs> it's very hard to dissect without getting wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Timey-wimey. Oh, okay. So here, what if we had had a female doctor? A lot of people want there to be a female doctor yeah, sometime I, oh, soon. I know, but what would that look like? Well, here, I, I'm not sure. I mean, from a logistic point of view, I don't think they should. But I like the idea of what would what it look like. Yeah, because... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little weird. I, I honestly, I think they probably will try to do a female doctor at some point because that's the culture we live in now. Yeah. I, I'm not real fond of it because I think that gender is something more intrinsic, intrinsic to who you are than just your DNA. I concur. But okay, so what would it look like? Let's move beyond whether they should and what might it look like. I mean, well, for some see, reason, all I can think of like an eccentric librarian, but that's probably not <laughs> even right. Honestly, it would probably look a lot like River Song. That's <laughs> I mean, okay. Yeah, that's true. It, no, because it would probably be all sassy and everything, mm-hmm. like River Song, and know it all, and kind of. I mean, the one difference of River Song and the Doctor generally is that she never really puts a great, a great like the Doctor knows very distinguished. He's Time Lord. You guys are humans. Yeah. River Song, she doesn't really care either way. I mean, it'd be interesting where they would where they would give the Doctor more compassion as a female, or where they would try to play kind of the. I mean, abstracted version. I mean, that's always the trick when it comes to super-powered female characters, and it's never really been... You know, that's one why it's taken so long to have a Wonder Woman movie, because no one can des- can really decide on what, a per- what makes a perfect woman. Yeah. People would say some of the best Wonder Woman stories is where she's compassionate and is fights for justice. And that's a really it's a really tough combo. Okay, here's a, here's a completely off... Uh, another what if. What if... Okay, and I don't know how many listeners have watched this movie, but I I really enjoyed it. Cloverfield. Okay. Okay. What if they had lived at the end? Because it's kind of a sad movie. I mean, Mm -hmm. it works the way they did it. I mean, you couldn't have ended it better. But you have this monster, and it just... And then they they die together. And that's the whole point, that the the two characters have been trying to find each other the whole time. They die together, and it was was a good day. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Which is a perfect ending. But but it's kind of a a downer in some ways that... Mm -hmm. You know, you know nothing about this monster. They're terrorized all day, and then they die. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a, you know, life is short, nasty, and brutal. It might have been a more uplifting movie. I mean, you could still say it was a good day if they get together and, you know, they survive this thing, and maybe they'll live the rest of their but lives. But I guess I guess then the question but, is, can you have them live and not explain anything about the monster? I don't see why not, honestly. I mean, the whole thing is found footage anyway. I guess there's a couple ways you could do it. You could do it as if... Like instead of just this just being some random found footage, you could be like, after the tape ends, show them like old and showing their grandkids. Oh. This is this is we we lived through that That'd great disaster you uh, you, you once heard about. It would certainly change the entire feel of the movie. It would end it like that. Yeah, it would be sort of like you could turn it into sort of this like the human spirit goes on. We survived, however, and maybe you yeah. could 
touch some, somehow on where the thing had come from. Because I guess that's the interesting thing with some of these revisions is that, especially with deaths or, or things like that, that when you, how you kill a person or you don't kill a person, you either it feels cheap or not, or maybe right or not, you, you decide, am I trying to be optimistic or am I trying to be... How can I get away with, you know, is it, does it feel more true to kill him or more true to keep him alive in some ways? And sometimes you can have stories where you could do either yeah. and they would both fit. And then I don't know how they, like, I never watched uh, Terminator. Uh, Salvation? Salvation. But mm-hmm. I think there was one version where he died and one that he lived. And I think even filmed. I don't remember if they filmed it. I do remember hearing one where basically John Connor got. Well, I'm trying to remember now. I guess not. I was gonna say assimilated, but it's not the Borg. But <laughs> I think. But I think what happened was that they. No, what I remember what it was. It was Cybernet had been trying to create a fake John Connor and then implant him within the the timeline. The resist. No, oh, the human okay. resistance, and basically wipe them out that way. Oh, so okay. so if they had been able to do that, that probably would have been essentially the end of the. You know, the humans would have all lost. Okay, and that so would that be kind of sad. yeah, that would have been the <laughs> that would have been the evil ending, <laughs> the evil ending. But yeah, it is interesting how if you just by changing uh, certain key things, it can really change the entire movie, the entire meat of the story in a sense. And I guess, and there have been stories that played with this. You know, if you yeah. change like uh, Run Lola Run, kind of plays with this. Like you change one one uh, event at the beginning of a sequence and it has dire consequences for the rest of the sequence of events. Well, there, and there's been TV... Well, I watch a little bit of Daybreak and you keep reliving the same day over and over again hmm. and you do different things and try to break this up. You know, Groundhog Day sort of oh, okay. you yeah. Know, yeah. thing. Except there's some mystery in you know that they're trying to solve and they keep getting new clues every day or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, you know, I think this is what fan fiction does sometimes. Yeah. No, I didn't like this choice. Therefore, here's how I'm going to rewrite it. Do it this way. I'm going to do it this way. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know they've done, I'm sure that there's been fan fictions of, like, choosing a different, you know, romantic partner. Yeah. Or uh, what would have happened if, if Zuko hadn't betrayed his brother at the end of season two? <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> and what, I guess what's interesting, though, is that we have this, we interact with stories in this way where we feel like we can change them. That the characters live outside the story. Hmm. I think that's interesting. I mean, I mean, yeah. myths has always been. I mean, myths. You know, there's so many different versions of myths because different people absorb them and do them. You know, and mm-hmm. reinterpret them. And I, th- I think that's an interesting thing that, you know, I'm now I'm back in my story school. I'm not meaning to be, but, um, <laughs> but you know, this act of us trying to rewrite stories. Yeah. Is what people are constantly doing, mm-hmm. and I think the the sign of a really good uh, story, possibly, is that. You don't see any place you would want to change it, hmm. yeah, or or you could, but you're like, but this version's still better. That's that's a good point. I mean, yeah, you can have a lot of different. I mean, there's been lots of different Superman stories, a lot of different Spider-Man stories over the years, or what have you. But there's really only one definitive Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, okay, the movies are good too, but the same, you know, that's that's the adaptation. That's the that's the Peter Jackson version. We know the 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 original one is the real one. I'm trying to think of one more good hairbrain, really really good hairbrained one. <laughs> I know we went to we went to we got serious mode. Got, <laughs> that doesn't normally happen. What if? No, not really. Remember we have Dorothy running around blowing up, you know, Tin Man and stuff. Probably the closest we had was when we did Tolkien doing uh, Star Wars. Star Wars. That was way back when. That was way back. I think that was our first what if. I think you're right. Okay, we need a crazy what if. Like what's what's a movie I've seen recently? See, now I got this whole stuck on, like, 
people dying or not dying or whether he's a guy or a girl. And that and let's start something like, what if this is not really one, but I always wanted to write an X Files episode. Like I always wanted to write one where Mulder was wrong. <laughs> no, seriously. Isn't, isn't he half the time though? It's no, not always weird, the weird thing. It is always the weird thing, from what I remember. I couldn't, some expert, X-Files expert. But I remember Scully would have these ideas, and they might be, it's like the most, re- well, that Listen episode of Doctor Who. Oh, okay, yeah. Where, you know, where you, you just always believe the Doctor. And then finally there's an episode where, like, wait a second. Maybe he was wrong. Maybe he was wrong every time. <laughs> but I don't think there was ever one like that for Eric. And Mulder, I love Mulder. He wasn't always right with the exact answer, but he was always it was never the normal thing. Mm-hmm. It was always the odd thing. Yeah. Which is, it's X-Files. I mean, that's why it is. But I always won one episode not where... That, where not that Scully would always believe it. Yeah, but. exactly. And sometimes it was really ambiguous. Like, I don't Actually, know what it was. there was something like that in, on Castle recently. Do you ever watch Castle? I haven't, no. Well, in a lot of episodes, they'll have something where it, it's uh, he'll come up with some crazy theory for like... The thinks the zombie apocalypse yeah. is gonna. It turns out it's like these zombie impersonators. That's why they had a zombie <laughs> on the and the surveillance tape or what what have you. Well, then the, there was one recently where uh, they thought the guy thought that he was being. It seemed like there were some demonic forces at play or something like that. He, and the, so that's what Castle thinks it is first, and his partner, you know, he's not yeah. like, no, it's not. And then later they think, oh, maybe it's an invisible man. His partner's like, no, no, it's not an invisible man. And it actually is. <laughs> <laughs> it actually winds up, like, involving some government cloaking <laughs> technology and stuff. <laughs> so it's like the one time where they actually did this really weird sci-fi <laughs> thing with it instead of just being a normal mystery caper. That's hilarious. <laughs> Okay, that was okay. another complete side tangent. Still not quite in the harebrained. Not, uh... not quite harebrained enough. <laughs> okay, okay, we're gonna do a ridiculous, ridiculous one. So what if? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the problem is half the what ifs when revisions. Then someone did yeah. like. No, what if we put Pride and Prejudice with zombies? Aha! Uh-huh! <laughs> <laughs> beat me to it. Because I think the whole point of creativity is that it would take, you know, something that, why don't, you know, and the thing is, we live in the age now where stories are constantly recycled in new ways. Mm-hmm. Well, like, Star Wars has even done a comic book series where, like, they change one fact in, mm-hmm. in um, say, A New Hope and said Luke misses the Death Star, so then they have, to, they have to deal with that. I'm trying to remember what the Empire Strikes Back one is. Some like that one is one that takes place. They do a revision really late in the movie. The Empire Strikes Back one, I feel like, it did happen early. I think Luke dies actually in the Empire Strikes Back one. Oh wow! And so instead of Luke going to Dagobah, Leia has to go to Dagobah and train to be a, a Jedi. And then Yoda comes with them to, <laughs> I think, rescue Han from Cloud City See, or something. It's like choose your own adventures. Like, okay, I'm not going to die from you know this random accident on the plane. I'm not going to try to take the boat and still die. Yeah, um, that's choose your own adventure. But <laughs> right. So. So yeah, I mean, what? Okay, here we go. Okay, what if let's cast someone else as uh, Jack Sparrow? Not Johnny Depp. Not Johnny Depp. Well, if they, you know, the director's just like, you know what? No, he's he's, he's too insane. He's crazy. Um, you know, like Jack Black. Jack Black. Okay, <laughs> Jack. <laughs> okay, so we got Jack Black. Um, not quite as suave. <laughs> <laughs> not quite as suave. I think I think he gets more away with like I think it becomes much more for like Keystone Cops type <laughs> kind of pirate movie. Okay, I would almost pay to watch it with Jack Black. <laughs> Like, I'm not sure they get sequels out of it, but 
Like, like he, maybe like a little overblown and yeah, I mean like he he's oh yeah very overblown obviously, but like he he always just kind of manages to scrape by by the skin of his teeth. Sort like of a lot thing. of physical like comedy, yeah, a lot stuff. of pratfalls and a lot of you know that kind of stuff. I almost want to see that. <laughs> instead, I'm pretty sure uh, Will Turner would end up being the heartthrob there instead of uh, Captain Jack. Yeah. He would be much more the buffoon. Yeah. Because somehow, maybe. because somehow Jack Sparrow is both the buffoon and the and, suave. Yeah. It's I'm not sure anyone else could possibly do it no. quite like that. Jack, I, I like the Jack Black replacement. <laughs> While we're on that, we'll just put uh, Steve Carell there. As uh, as Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want the dry, like... It just it's, it's too it's too I, I could see Steve Carell doing a very good um who's Barbosa? the no who who's the British captain oh, okay yeah <laughs> I I could see him doing the the British guy that'd be kind of awesome whatever his name but is. we'll just recast everyone <laughs> <laughs> okay um let me think here just because no one can tell the difference put Natalie Portman in for uh, Karen Knightley <laughs> <laughs> that works <laughs> actually you know what I'd like to see. I like to see Sawyer as Will Turner. Josh Holloway. Josh Holloway. Be, that'd be fun. I, can you see him in a pirate movie? Yeah, yeah, he'd be a great pirate. Why not? I mean, he's he's definitely got the suave thing. Actually, yeah. he'd probably be a bit better uh, Jack Sparrow, honestly. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> okay, we'll move we'll, 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 we'll in the Jack Sparrow. Yeah. Okay, we only need another Turner. Maybe Jack Black's Will Turner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do it. You're cast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Anyone else important? Uh, Bar- okay, Barbosa. Barbosa. Yeah, we haven't touched Barbosa. We need a good, um, um, oh, uh, Mickey Rook. Yeah, Rook. <laughs> Mickey Rourke. Rourke, yeah. We'll do that, yeah. yeah. Okay. It'd be, a, it'd be a buffer Barbosa, but he'd be, like, probably, like, have his, his you know, shirt ripped the entire time. And, and we can go with that. You know, I mean, that, he's a hard problem now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, not maybe, quite. Not for no. not, not quite as wide of appeal. I mean, no. there'd, there'd be a certain that'd be really attractive to him. <laughs> don't get me wrong. But. All right. So that most of, most of the characters then? I think so. Yeah. Man, that's... that was a good idea. We should recast people. <laughs> that's, that's kind of a loose revision, but I guess yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It, it was, was hairbrain. It was hairbrain enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. There we go. We can wrap this up. now. We can go. Okay. So we're done. Yep. I think we're done. Okay. So let's uh let's give us some contact info here, Tim. Okay. Well, let's make let's revise the order we usually do it in. We'll say this time first. You can uh, v- listen to us live at mixler.com slash derailed trains of thought. Uh, or you can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com. Or you can go back to do it the classic way. Visit our, our website, derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. You can also uh, subscribe to us on both Stitcher and iTunes. Stitcher, we found out, in case you've been listening to us talk about it and wondering what it is, Stitcher is for people who have Droid phones. Yes. Instead of iTunes. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, also, we've been the reruns. Well, we're on of, YouTube, yes. Yes, the reruns uh, have been continuing on YouTube. You can find us easily there by going to youtube.com slash trains of thought. Or actually, it might just be derailedtrains, just youtube.com slash trains. I think it is trains. Yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, all right. We're lots of places to listen to our stuff. I I hear some gunshots going off in the in the foyer. Man, as long as we don't find another. No, I, body. I, I think I heard one, two, and two um, and one. I'm, I tell I you, we have so many dead bodies around here. You just kind of get you know, you just kind of tune it out after yeah, a while. Yeah, I know. I just it's unfortunate. <laughs> you have to go with it. Yeah. Okay. For my soundtrack today, um, I basically just did a Google search 
on for OC Remix for revisions. Again, knowing that some songs have to they go through some revisions before they get accepted on OC Remix. Took me a while to find one that just really sold me, but this is the one that I went with. It is a relatively new song. Well, the game is not new. I'm, in fact, it's not a game I'm r at all familiar with. It's called Tyrion. No relation to a Game of Thrones character. Or a, a city <laughs> a, and children a, a of the wild. A, a revised name for a city. <laughs> yeah. We originally called Tyrion Tyrion. And, and then we're like, realized, oh, uh, Game of Thrones. None of us watched it. And we're like, oh, uh, well, I guess that's kind of important. <laughs> um, anyway, the name of the remix is Data Flux. The name of the remixer is Magelniak or Magell Magellanek or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, sorry if I got your name wrong, dude, whoever you are. Come listen to our podcast. <laughs> that is the real trains of thought. Did I just hear a singing telegram? I think so. I don't know what is going on. Okay. Well, um, hopefully, folks, we will see you next time. And assuming we're not next. Yeah. Big one next time. Yes. Big the big 5-0. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where this podcast will take us, but I'm expecting many surprises. Yes, many surprises. Hopefully, it should be another big epic to do. Yep. So, till then, this has been Nick. And this is Tim. Adios. Bye bye.